let's have the discussion. You're listening to Canter with Scott and Adam. Hello and welcome to Canter. I'm Scott Hillier. And I'm Adam Breeze. And in this episode, we sit down with legendary hashishin, Frenchie Cannoli. We turn down our mics and hand Frenchie the floor while he runs us through a History of Concentrate's presentation. Frenchie stresses the distinction between hash and concentrate and runs us through a detailed history of how it all came about. Enjoy the episode and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Canter Podcast. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to Canter. Adam, how are you doing today, mate? I'm great, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, I'm going very well, thank you, mate. I'm excited to do something a little bit new uh, with one of our favourite guests, Frenchie Canoli. Frenchie, how are you doing, mate? Um, good. Good morning to you guys. Yeah, good afternoon to you, mate. It's uh, bright and early here, but it's just the perfect time for you to run us through uh, a presentation today, mate. It's it's interesting what we're going to run with, uh, a PowerPoint presentation that we'll be able to put on YouTube for the for the listeners to jump on and, and watch. And Frenchie, you're going to basically give us a, a lecture, a presentation, and uh, cover ca- the history of cannabis concentrates. Yes. So, um, I go for it. Yeah, let's let's get into it, man. Yeah. Okay. So, I will give you a long story. The story of the concentrate. It's a it's a very long story. But let's first start to uh, to define what are concentrates. So, cannabis concentrates are product fra- made from the cannabis resin collected from the plant through a sieving or an extraction process. And it's defined from a dry sieve, loose trichome gland, to a pure isolate CBD, THC, and uh, another cannabinoid, and everything in, uh, in between. <laughs> the resin is produced into the defensive system literally of the of the plant kingdom the trichome and it comes from the greek word trichoma meaning air and in zeus trichome the plant kingdom produce secondary metabolites they produce 200000 compound organic compound in uh, in zeus trichome from the most toxic to the most beneficial and again, everything in between. We have no idea of the powers that represent at the chemical uh, level. So the, what was the difference between the trichome of the plant kingdom and the trichome from the cannabis plant? What is really so special to those trichome? Well, they are pretty special because they can biosynthetize the two most common compound, organic compound in a plant kingdom, terpen and phenol, which are both toxic. And from those two toxic compounds, the plant can create 155 plus cannabinoid medicinal compound, which is pretty special. When I learned this, I, it really, it really changed a lot of uh, my vision of what I had uh, experienced. 
So, what is the origin of concentrate? When did it really, really start? We don't really know, per se. We have some data. We know that the Eurasian continent was the main migratory highway for the migration of animals coming from uh, the America and Africa uh, between uh, 10 to 50 million years ago. And we know that the cannabis plant was born, separated actually, uh, from the humulus plant and the evolution started 20, almost 28 million years ago in the high plateau Tibetan next to Lake Qinghai, which is uh, the biggest uh, salt lake in, uh, in China today. From that base, the, from the, the birthplace of, uh, of cannabis and being a point, uh, able to pinpoint the date, they could also not really trace the dispersal of the plant, but collect different data on the rest of the continent. And the plant was six million years ago in Europe, which is a long distance, but is really right there on the migratory highway of, uh, of animals. Most of them were herbivores, and the best mean of dispersal for seed plants it's herbivore. It took the plant on, on the other hand almost five million years more to go into the more tropical southern uh, part of China. When the plant separated to, uh, from humulus, it's because humulus reached uh, a limit in his evolution the high plateau of Tibet were not his territory anymore. So his evolution created a plant that is adapted to the high plateau Tibetan and all the grassland territory and mountains that there is between Tibet and the Mediterranean Sea. And it took almost six million years for the cannabis plant to go at the feet of the Himalaya from Bhutan to uh, to northern uh, India. And it must have most certainly been brought down to southern hemisphere by humanity. Oh. I need to point out that right here, near the Mediterranean uh, Sea, there is a place that is known as the Fertile Crescent the richest place on earth. The cannabis plant was growing freely in that region for four million years before Homo erectus set feet on the Eurasian continent. So the plant had, had most certainly the time to, uh, to spread far and wide. So, you know, difficult but it is today to, to, uh, to hide your plant. Imagine a master forager where, like, those people left Africa, they were barehanded and naked. And the only means of survival, the only tool 
of survival that they could find, it's nature that gave them to, uh, to them. Homo erectus survived 1.5 million years. He started from South Africa and, and inhabited the Eurasian continent from Spain to Philippines and Indonesia. They really knew their stuff. I really wonder how long it would take them to miss a plant that is pretty obvious in the grassland, I would say, that has been growing in the richest place on earth for millions of years before Homo erectus apparition, and the plant that gives you medicine, psychoactive drug, and fiber. Fiber, it's a big deal. Seeds, it's a big deal. Everything that is seeds and grain for a nomadic tribe, it's the richest nutrition you can get, the lightest with the longest shelf life. It's literally the base of agriculture. It's grain and seed. It has always been a, a big deal. So, and... The cannabis seeds are especially uh, nutritious because they contain some uh, uh, compounds that are really uh, rare that you don't find elsewhere. So now, the thing is, when you want to collect the, the, the seeds from a cannabis plant, well, you get sticky hand. So the first thing that our ancestor ever experienced touching the plant is sticky and smelly. Since everything, all the plants that those people encounter, it's a source of survival. So everything is unallied at a level that is pretty incredible. To give you an idea, uh, for agriculture to be born, Our ancestors went through 200,000 plants, just the plants that give seeds, grain, and fruit. On those 200,000, there is a thousand or so that are edible, a hundred or so that can be um, domesticated, a dozen that are still feeding the planet. And since 13,000 BC, we have not domesticated a plant, a new plant. We have breeded a lot, but there is no plant that was on the planet that could be domesticated that wasn't 13,000 years ago. They really knew their stuff. So now, how long will it go? How long will it take our ancestor to go from a sticky finger to a sticky hand? Because this is the first concentrate ever made. It's live resin. This is the ultimate, the ultimate gift to the plant while she's live. So how long would it take those people to actually start caressing the, the plant to collect the, to collect the resin? And It's still a technique that is used in at the feet of the Himalaya, mostly because of the of the climate that is pretty tropical while very high in a, in a mountain. Otherwise, in a, in ash country, 
kids do it time to time or foreign years at uh, at harvest time because you uh, you don't have anything to smoke kind of and uh this is how i experienced it in india in uh in the 80s you could go into the most remote valley of the himalaya rand field and spend months living in a cave and uh, and making your uh, your charas uh, all day long it's uh, it's a very unique buzz a very unique experience and uh, to make it yourself it's it's unreal the you know days after day week after week months after months every day you touch resin and it stick on your on your hand and it goes through your through your skin into your blood system and with caressing the plant and collecting the resin there is like that orgy of terpenes that it's like it's basic it's almost an overload of terpenes you you write there, you see how it is, you write there in the middle, already you have the smell of the field that is intense, and every one of those flowers that you touch has basically a different terpen profile. It's pretty unreal. Now, once you have stick, once you have, so layer by layer, plant by plant, the layer on your hand becomes thicker and thicker. Your first touch it's going to be, you, you see it in the sun, it shines, and it's already super sticky. The only things you uh, you need to have as the tool is your hand, but your hand cannot be sweaty and cannot be oily because you cannot make charas in that case, or uh, poorly. Layer by layer, your uh, plant by plant, your, your layers are going to darken slowly, slowly from transparency to... Uh, to all the shade of amber until they get to that darker stage. And when you feel that you have enough on your hand, like a handful is here, you need to unstick. So you take your thumb, you put, place it on the, the most, uh, the thicker part of resin on your hand, you press, you twist, you snap. And it's going to come like nice and white. And then you keep snapping your hand like that guy did on the, on the bottom right. You can see he has the charas on one finger and one of his hand is clean. Then you need to be able to pass the charas that you have on, the, on your thumb onto your other thumb or finger so that you can clean your second hand like the, the top right corner is doing. And once you... Um, once you have recalled, collected that, you usually, we usually make like flat pancake into a thick uh, plastic uh, sheet so that only the edge of the, of the resin would have contact with, uh, with oxygen. And charas look like that. It's really like grainy, like caviar type of, uh, of texture almost with a little, uh, a little uh, bracket and uh, pistil and uh, and green that come with it. It's pretty difficult to uh, to keep your hand clean even when you really are uh, a maniac. 
This is what we call jungle. Jungle, there is two types of cannabis in, uh, in the Himalaya. You have the wild cannabis that I've been growing there for over 30,000 years. And you have the cultivated field that have taken the whole mountain now, more or less. And the wild cannabis is usually uh, earlier, it finished earlier. So you can have basically two seasons, the jungle and, uh, and the, the cultivated. And the jungle, it's, um, you, you just need to keep moving. Basically, you, uh, you have a backpack, a light, you walk, you find a spot where there is plant, you hide your backpack in a tree, you make charas all day long, you camp at night, there is water all over the mountain. So it's not really a, a problem to finding a, a spot next to a, a water source. And in the morning, if there is enough for your day still in a place you are, you stay. Otherwise, you keep moving on and you... You walk like that for two, three weeks from spot to spot. It's, it's pretty trippy. And then you, otherwise, when you finish that, you go and you rent field to the local and you do a kind of camping uh, next to your field. But it's the Himalayan mountain. It's like 8,000 feet, 9,000 feet, 7,000 feet at best. It's tropical hot during the day and it's uh, high mountain Himalaya cold at night. It's like you really need to, uh, to make sure that you have a serious uh, camping spot and, uh, and uh, you should be well equipped, which I wasn't. <coughs> so that's what we did in, uh, in Malana when it's, uh, it's cultivated. But this was done towards the end of the season. You can see there is a lot of dried parts uh, into it. Or this may have been done also after the snow. I'm not sure anymore. Otherwise, it looks like that. It's like, it's what we call six-star here. The stuff, it's, uh, it, it melts. It literally uh, liquefied. It's... It's really, in a mountain, it's okay. But when you go in the south, it's really hard to, uh, to mix your smoke and, uh, and smoke a chiller. So now, how do you go to collecting cannabis uh, while you walk uh, as a nomadic uh, tribe to Ashish, where the game change because you have, there is a methodology that come into play where you need uh, tools. So how did it start? Definitely our ancestor would have cut the cannabis plant to dry it, to be able to collect the seeds because they already had been collecting seeds and grain for a, a, few, a million years plus. So it's, if you want to collect seeds and grain, you dry the plant. So now, how do you connect the action of breaking the bud to collect the seeds? You're going you're gonna to experience stickiness on your finger. So you have that relation with the live resin. But the all other connection with the trichon gland, it's dust falling down. 
So it's not really, really like, it's a stretch of imagination, big time, to go from one to the other. That's what I've been. This is a, used to separate chaff and grain. It's used still in most nomadic tribes, and it's one of the oldest tools of, uh, of human being, uh, of humanity. The first things we did was uh, bread, uh, fiber, and chop stone. It's very simple. That's the two crafts that made us literally uh, survive. And when you separate chaff from grain on a, on a tool like that, you have all that dust cloud falling under it. How did they figure it out? Really difficult uh, to say. Uh, it must have happened next to a fireplace for sure. The uh, stuff would go into the into the fire, and it's at that moment when they were dry sieving that they may have experienced uh, cannabinoid as a, in a smoke uh, in a smoke form. You know what I mean. But this is like this is this goes so far back in time. That uh, and there is no evidence whatsoever of ash until much later. There is a lot of evidence that uh, about cannabis, the plant, but there is nothing about ash until much later. They needed at least agriculture or a semi-sedentary life. That uh, a place. Agriculture was born because all the genus Homo, from Homo erectus to Neanderthal to Denisovan to Homo sapien, have favored uh, region on the uh, on the continent. These regions were hospitable, rich with a, a lot of uh, resources for them to uh, to stay there. Genius Homo after Genius Homo over million years. They have favored specific plants. The plants that they like the best, they would bring to the camp. Those plants had an edge over the wild one because they could grow in the refuse of humanity. So year after year, you come back, there is more and more and more. And Agriculture was born 10,000 years ago, but there is evidence of making bread and beer that, has, that are uh, five or uh, 6,000 uh, years older. So, well before agriculture, we have been creating new products through manipulation. That's the time where Ashish uh, was born. The birth of, of agriculture happened in a fertile crescent, mainly, here on the Iranian, on those Iranian uh, mountains and, uh, and in China. Okay? The oldest evidence of 
solid evidence of psychoactive cannabis use come from those little stars that you see uh, next to the birthplace of, uh, of cannabis. The one higher up in the uh, in Altai mountain was a shaman that was buried with 13 plant wall uh, put on his chest. The two other stars at the entrance of the, of the Tarim Basin, one was the stash of a shaman, 800 grams of, uh, of cannabis. Uh, the one next to it, um, there is reference to cannabis, but there is no wall plant. And the one at the end of the Tarim Basin, where they found little uh, basin in wood with stone that were used to burn flowers with traces of cannabinoid and stuff inside. So on that side of the continent, you have uh, flower evidence that are 2,700 years old. And in the fertile creation that cross, la, it's the oldest evidence of cannabis resin that is also 2,700 years old. And it was fine on the altar in the holy of holy of a Judaic temple uh, in a little uh, temple. There were two altars, one where they, they found residue of frankincense and on the other they find cannabinoid but with no plant matter. They found dung, cow dung. So that's the first evidence of the use of can uh, the first evidence of cannabis and the first evidence of the use of cannabis as an incense, as an aromatic resin, which was the most expensive things that you could possess was those frankincense and myrrh because they were dedicated to the God only. So now the secrecy of, of ash could make sense if somewhere, somehow, somebody knew how to make it and if he had more values than gold, well, you wouldn't share the tech, that's for sure. And between those Two points, there is the Silk Road. That's the tool necessary to really make ash. You need, you need a material that has been woven finally to be able to, uh, to, to do uh, serious dry sieving. The oldest evidence of silk in China is 8,500 years old. The oldest evidence of cotton, it's in Pakistan, it's 7,000 years old. The oldest evidence of a woven material come from Eastern Europe. And it's an imprint in, uh, in clay that was pretty fine. And the oldest evidence of threading, it come, it's 50,000 years old, 
and uh, Neanderthal was already uh, doing thread and, and waving. So the mean to do ash is pretty old. It can it, it go back for tens of millennium, really. And ashish look like that. It looks very, very, very different from uh, from charas from and uh, rolled uh, and rub uh, resin. So this is a Moroccan. This is an Afghani. This is all known an Afghani when they have this fancy uh, gold uh, stamp, but that is really good quality. The stamp did not mean that it was quality. It's really marketing. Every farm's got a few of them. You can ask what you want and you pay a little bit more when you have the, to get the gold. <coughs> so now you have those two first concentrates. And rub charas and ashish. In both cases, the quality is defined by the cleanliness of your resin. May it be live or, uh, or dry. And I created a category of, uh, of concentrate with the process, the plant material that you use, the technique, and what the end product is. So the first concentrate was, the process was manual rubbing. The plant was live. The technique is hand rubbing. And the end product is charas. Then came sieving. You work only with dried and cured material. The technique is dry sieving, a separation through the perforation of your tool. And From this, you collect loose tricon head, loose resin head, which have many, many, many names. Uh, beach sand, ice wax, full melt, kif, which is really hurtful because that's part of a, of a Moroccan culture that is really old. This is something that we really need to, uh, to find a name so that everybody could understand uh, everybody else when we talk about uh, loose uh, tricone gland. And the end uh, material is pressed traditional ash. And this is really important because when you press ash with a source of it, you literally activate the cannabinoid. You make the THCA THC that is now psychoactive. As long as you have that A, that carboxyl acid group attached to the cannabinoid, it's pure medicine. That's what the plant is give you. You want psychoactive, you need to make it happen. And how they figure out that pressing with the source of it not only could create Uh, a mass that can age and transform through time, but that they, they, they could figure out that how the, the, the ash pressed is much stronger than loose resin head. It's pretty amazing. And there is no producing country who would smoke loose resin head. They all smoke it press, even if they press it Just before they smoke, like in Morocco, uh, you do not smoke 
Tricon ground loose. It has to be uh, to be pressed. But there is no there is no history behind. They cannot give you a reason. It's just the smoke is better. So the second category is the process is sieving. The plant material is dried and cured. The technique is dry sieving. You use a tool made of perforation to separate by size. And the first end product, it's loose resin head, loose resin gland that have many names, too many actually, none we can agree on, and some I disagree strongly, like Kif. The end product is actually ashish. Traditional ashish is pressed triton glands. And it makes a very big difference. When you press with it, cannabinoid, you transform the carboxyl acid group into CO2 and you literally activate your cannabinoid. Your T, the THCA has no psychoactive effect on you. It's pure medicine. It has to become THC for you to feel the psychoactive effect. So by pressing traditionally with it, your tricon gland, you literally activate the ash you will smoke, which adds to the decarboxylation that you have while you smoke. And it makes a big difference. When you smoke, you have 30% at best decarboxylation, maybe a little bit more when you, uh, when you vape, and much less when you smoke a joint. Uh, if you have an ash that is 30-40% decarb on top of this, well, you have twice the amount of active compound that enter your bloodstream and you feel it. So now, the principle of, uh, of dry sieving. Dry sieving, you have your tool. The wider the tool and the less amount of material you have over it, the more uh, effective the work is going to be. If you have a pile of material over a small surface of a, of a tool, when you agitate to break the gland from the stock, there is a lot that will get stuck in a mass. When you have a wide tool with no layering, everything that breaks fall on the tool, bump, uh, bump a little bit, and then find the hole and go through the perforation because it's not that easy for a tricon gland of 120 to go through a 160, for example. You need to give it a chance. So the bigger your tool and the less material, the better the, the process. Now, the methodology of dry sieving is made of two processes, the agitation to break the gland and the separation when the gland goes through the, the perforation of your tool. It's two processes in one methodology that you cannot separate until ice water sieving came into play because Mila changed literally the, the game. Water is important because the big con of dry sieving, you work with a brittle material. Every time you touch, you make contaminants. The stronger your agitation, and you always agitate by stage, the stronger your agitation, 
the more contaminant you create. And that create grade that you find in producing country. The, the, quali the grading quality is totally defined by the, the cleanliness of the, of the resin. When you put the water into play and you rehydrate that, uh, that plant material, it becomes supple. You can, you cannot create contaminant except if you use too much ice and the ice start grinding your material. So in that case, yeah, you could. But the beauty of it, it's when Mila made their first bag. The first ice water machine, the sieve was in a, in an agitation body. They were still stuck into the two process into one methodology. And Mila was against the wall because she needed to be able to find a way to compensate for the screen inside the machine that actually didn't hold inside the machine and were breaking away. And because she's a seamstress, she was wondering how can you stretch something over a kind of bucket and the bag were born. And this is the only evolution in a game that is tens of millennium. It's insane to be able to, the first time I saw this, like a machine and a bag separated, for me, it was like, oh, wow, this is the game changer, truly. And the first things I did, I made my own custom bag because the first principle of dry sieving is to have as much material as possible, the workspace. And then I created my own agitation chamber where the vortex of water, it's what dislodge, breaks the gland from, uh, from the stock. And what's beautiful with ice water, I can do live raising. I can go at the farm in almost in the middle of the field if I want. I mostly work at night and I cut the plant and I feed the machine straight up. The thing is when you do that, The plant system, the plant has chlorophyll in its body. That is in a kind of vein-like uh, system, like our blood system in our, in our body. So that when you cut the plant, it bleeds. When you cut the plant in water, it's going to give, you're going to have green coming, chlorophyll coming in your water that you can clean. The first wash, you have little, and the more you wash, the more you, you get. You can clean everything, but it takes time and water. You can also freeze your material. I was against it because when you freeze a material that is made of 80% of water and the water becomes ice and has 10% more of a mass, you literally explode from the inside out at the molecular level of the whole plant. But you have cauterized the, the, the cut. The plant is not bleeding anymore. And the plant will not bleed as long as it stays frozen. So if you are in a good condition, like cold place, and you work really cold, cold, you can clean this in a way that is not really possible with, uh, not possible with live resin, And pretty difficult with dried and cure. It's, uh, it makes it really easy to work. 
to compensate with the stickiness and what come into play when you do you work with live resin, that ability to be able to clean it without having any chlorophyll coming out is it's pretty amazing. And instead of being stuck to one or two farms per season and maybe two or three cultivars, because there is so much you can do during harvest time, this I can have live resin all year long. My limitation is uh, the infrastructure to support uh, my need, basically. Uh, fridge and, uh, and frozen uh, container, basically. And I, I can do dried and, and cure plant. So that the use of water, already I can do what I could do by hand, what I can do dry sieve, and I add the and I add the, the dried and cure on uh, on top of it. So I earn the melt, I earn the quality, I earn the I add the tricon that really holds the most uh, resin. But it's very difficult to know how much resin is formed inside the resin head. I can I don't have this uh, X-ray stuff yet. And you cannot judge by the color of the tricon gland because that's impact the only thing that defines the color of the gland is uh, is intensity of the light. That means that uh, a cultivar at the peak of uh, its flowering cycle, indoor or sun-grown, will give the same amazing resin, but one would be light yellow and the other one will be dark caramel. You know what I mean? Um, and you cannot really do it by the size either. Because a tropical plant has very small tricon gland, and a plant that lives in a desert and in a couch mountain are pretty much bigger gland with a much thicker membrane. And because we have so many hybrids, you have everything uh, in between. So how do you figure out the time to uh, the time to harvest? The size, because the size, it's people believe that the 70 and the 90 are the best of the best. They are some of the best. But when you dry sieve from 25 to 220, you have plateau. There is a plateau of 160 where the gland and the contaminant are of the same size. And there is a plateau after 25 where you get the same. Everything is in between. You, it's easier to get clean. And 1790, it's right there, the middle. Not only the middle of ripeness in, uh, in mature tricon gland in general, because we collect from 25 to uh, 160, so it's right there in the middle, the middle size. You're sure that if the plant was harvested at the right time, 70 and 90 are going to be good. It's a fact, yeah. But that doesn't tell you 
that give you the 70 and the 90 are only a little slice of a much bigger pie. And that bigger pie, it's an entourage effect. There is a spectrum of cannabinoid and of terpene that you do not find in the slice, that you find only in the wholeness. So how can we? I get something really, I need to be accurate. I need to be able to aren't accurate. And I couldn't. And for a long time, I was just mixing all my, my stuff together. And very few farmers could give me the quality I was looking when I was mixing everything else. Until I found out that the gland is attached to the stock by an abscission. And an abscission is what attaches a fruit or a leaf to a tree. The abscission through the course of the evolution, development of the, tra- uh, of the gland becomes smaller and smaller. And until the gland falls by itself when it's mature and ripe, full of resin. So now everything changed. It's like I'm not checking a plant and I cannot even see what I'm collecting. Now I can change my vision. And if the gland is made like a, like a fruit, well, I'm dealing with a fruit tree. Even if it's small fruit, it's the same principle. Okay. How do I get the ripest uh, fruit on a, on a tree? Or I go touch and smell the fruit. Or I shake the tree just a tiny bit and I have the ripest fruit falling down. And then I shake a tiny bit stronger and I, I have that second dimension of ripeness and so on and so on. The force I apply will make the gland attached with that much abscission to the plant fall. Doesn't matter the color, doesn't matter the size. So, It's weird because it's something, it's something I have been doing all my life. You agitated more and more to get everything. I, to know that every one of those agitation is a dimension of ripeness change everything because I can read this. I can tell you if there is not enough resin formed inside the gland, it's because it's been harvested early. And by the amount of resin that is formed in the gland, I can tell you to the day how early or how late you have been harvesting your plant. And I call that ice water ashes because I cannot really call it traditional ash. So in my sieving category, now you can add live and fresh frozen to the dried and cure. The tech is ice water sieving. The, one, the first end product that I collect is those loose resin glands that we need to name. And the end product once it's pressed to differentiate it from traditional ash, I call it ice water ash to make it a little bit simple. So now you have to understand that what I do, I crush into a mass of resin the tricon gland that I connect, that I collect. Everything is contained 
inside that re, that uh, that mass of resin. It is. I'm going to start comparing with uh, alcohol uh, industry. It's very much like wine. You need to crush the whole grape to be able to make wine. It needs the matrix that created the sugar and the juice to be able to create the fermentation process that will transform it in, in wine. But if you take the juice, if you extract the juice from the grape, you can make many, many, many alcohol, up to a 90.9% pure alcohol. And that's the difference between hashish and extract. When you extract, you take the resin from the gland. You leave behind the matrix that created the cannabinoid and the terpene. It's not the same. You leave behind a big part of the, of the equation and you get into a new domain that is pretty limitless actually and, uh, and pretty amazing. But, uh, to give you an idea how different it is as far as experience goes, if you smoke ash, it's like a warm, cozy blanket in front of a fire and a long, cozy, super comfortable time. When you smoke the rosin extracted from that specific ash, it bang you, it's super speedy and it's short. It's not the same. It may taste kind of the same. It comes from the same source, but it's not the same product anymore. And that's the beauty of it. It's like that diversity that is the concentrate world. Because rosin is, like I do, a simple ash squish to really have something pure with a different buzz and uh, hot on the on American market because people do not like any residue on, uh, on their nail. And they like speedy. The young generation, they like it. I, I get it. It's like... I do smoke rosin in the afternoon instead of having a coffee. I dab, uh, I dab one, two dab of rosin. It pumped me up and I'm ready for, uh, for the day. So it's like, it's, it's pretty amazing, but you can push it further. You can create different textures uh, with it by whipping it, by manipulating it. And then you can even create pure THCA by using temperature, pressure, and time, you can literally separate THCA from the rest of your cannabinoid and terpene. And you can go further. You can separate cannabinoid and, uh, and terpene and grow diamond in, the, in your terpene source. It's pretty wicked. So now you have a new category, a non-solvent extraction category. You can use live, you can use fresh frozen, and you can use dried and cured. The main, really the main, main extraction, the one that has the most impact on the market, it's rosin. So it's a non-solvent extraction that uses only heat and pressure. The end product is rosin, but that first end product can be refined into many other products, 
that they are just starting to uh, to scratch the tip of the of the iceberg. You have also CO2, and they call it non-solvent extraction, but it's it's not a non-solvent material. But when it's used, supercritical flu fluid, it's an extraction. It, it becomes a, a solvent extraction. It's very very different. The resin you collect and the way you collect it from the heat and pressure one. The main use of the oil, the first hand product goes to vape cartridge and uh, topical and, uh, and product like that. But it can be refined further into distillate and, uh, and isolate. And then we have cryo, like super, super cold. Uh, it's a form also of, uh, of non-solvent extraction. It's pretty rare. And uh, they call their product LN2 extract. It was a little popular a few years back, but I have not seen any for, uh, for quite a while, but I wanted to, uh, to mention it. And then we go into the solvent extraction, and that's what rules the world of, uh, of, the, of concentrate. It's a solvent extraction. It's a butane extraction, where you work mostly with fresh frozen uh, or dried. And the main hydrocarbon use are BHO and, uh, and propane, PHO. You have to understand that here in, uh, in California, ash was a little bit popular in the 70s. Then it disappeared. Stay a little bit underground, left and right, with, uh, with the EP that did travel up there, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really in any dispensary most of the, most of the time. And it disappeared during the, the big repression that, uh, that they have. People were starting to draw, grow flower here. Very, very few people remembered making ash. And until butane BHO came, uh, came into play. And it changed everything. First came shatter. That was a big revolution. Then after shatter, they made wax. Then after the wax, they made the butter. And then after the butter, they made the crumble. And the sauce. And the diamond. And the isolate. And the rule. Like everything that is done is trying to follow the butane extraction when, when uh, sieving came into play. The name used were uh, non-solvent extraction. So there is that while we're sieving, they call it an extraction because it brings you into the world of the BHO, of the of the big boys that can really transform the stuff. You know what I mean? That is so hot on the, on the market. Uh, they, they use names like ice wax, 
like the package that it look a little bit similar. Uh, you could smoke it on the same tool and it leave little residue and at the time of shatter and stuff like that, actually we could offer much more terpen than any, uh, any extract. But the evolution of, of rosin, the evolution of anything that goes into the extraction world, the cutting edge, it's the butane uh, extraction people. And again, they just have scratched the, the surface. Then we have alcohol extraction. You, we have ethanol and isopropyl, but I don't really recommend if you do alcohol extraction, make ethanol. Ethanol is pretty beautiful because you can do a full plant extraction. And that would be the only full spectrum concentrate that you could have. I don't do full spectrum. 45 to 160 micron is, let's say, a wide spectrum. But a wide spectrum of what's inside the cannabis, uh, the resin gland, that's 250 compounds only. There is more than 500 in the plant. So ethanol, at, at the level, medicinal level, there is more, much, much more. And uh, a lot of the uh, most respectful people that are really treating with, uh, with cannabis, they work with, uh, with ethanol. And uh, so it goes uh, like that. You have that uh, section where the plant material is the same for the hydrocarbon, but the technique is uh, an extraction, uh, an, an alcohol extraction. The end product, again, you get a full extract cannabis oil tincture, basically. But this also, you can purify it further and create uh, distillate and, uh, and isolate. And that is the story. <laughs> that was really cool, Frenchie. Thank you very much, mate. That was very interesting. Yeah, it was that, was a, a, that was a cool slideshow. That was fantastic, yeah. I uh, really appreciate that one, buddy. And uh, you've educated us and hopefully we've educated some of the listeners. Um, yeah, no, thank you very much for doing up that, that slideshow, bud. It's, I think it's important to, uh, to share for people to have an idea of how much diversity there is. The only problem we, uh, there is in the industry, there is, because there is so many different process and technique, there is, uh, a competition between, between the, the solvent use, the technique use, and it's very much like if in the alcohol industry, uh, people would tell you that whiskey is better than uh, tequila or cognac. Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like you do not compare. Yeah. You just appreciate the craftsmanship that comes behind creating such a diversity in, uh, in alcohol or, uh, or resin is like, I, uh, it's very difficult for me to, uh, to understand it because it's, uh, it's a war zone, literally. It's, uh, because I do that, it's better than you. No, it's just different. And cannot you appreciate the craftsmanship that come into, 
making ashes as, as much as you respect the craftsmanship that goes behind making diamond or isolate or uh, whatever type of, uh, of concentrate you, uh, you like the best. Because then it's like, that you tell me that you like better something, I can rely to that totally. But don't tell me that something is better than something else when you're comparing two different products that have very little in common, except that the cannabis plant <laughs> produced to strike on glands that gave you that resin. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it. And uh, I like the way that you, you emphasize the craftsmanship that, that goes behind these products. Um, here in Australia, obviously, that stuff isn't around uh, to our knowledge. Um, but it's a, it's a fascinating little part of the world. You're in over there, Frenchie, in California, where people are able to really explore uh, these different methodologies and these different products. And as you say, um, I think it's all about people appreciating appreciating those differences rather than battling over them. What's amazing, it's like even with just heat and pressure, like your girlfriend uh, air uh, dresser stuff, là, uh, you can create pure THCA. That's something the big pharma told us it was impossible 50 years ago, that they're still trying to make, to make it synthetically. Uh, if you do solvent extraction, butane extraction, for you can have a, a closed loop for forty, fifty thousand dollars. You don't need to uh, come from uh, MIT to uh, to make it roll. Huh? I know a lot of kids that have enough knowledge to create pure tea, pure any cannabinoid, while the the big pharma are, are still telling us that we cannot do it. Like that's what scares the big pharma. It's not the plant. It's like people having the ability to get that clean, to get pure cannabinoid, to get what the, what the medi medical industry is using. That's scary for you because anybody can do it. Yeah, I hear that. That's, that certainly <laughs> seems to be one of the motivations for, for people trying to shut down the, uh, yeah. the medicinal movement. Definitely control seems to be uh, something that people – discuss quite frequently and uh, what motivations people may have to try and shut down access to the plant. Um, so yeah, fascinating, fascinating thing that we could maybe look into in a future episode. So Frenchie, that was a, that was a pleasure, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Um, we've got some ideas for potentially something in the future with you as well uh, that we'd like to discuss afterwards, but we really appreciate you joining us and, and helping educate um, it's always a pleasure to have someone of your profile on the show, but it's also a pleasure to have the education put out there for the people. So yeah, hats off to you, mate. And thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, I'd like to see what you guys are doing in, uh, in Australia. I'd like to meet some, uh, Ashmaker from, uh, from your hood. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't think Adam and I personally know anybody, but we, we could certainly ask around, uh, ask around the traps and, uh, put you in touch with some people potentially. Um, yeah, we'll discuss that off air in a, in a second, mate, but yeah, thank you. We'll, uh, we'll wrap the show up and, uh, we'll chat about future endeavors after the show. Cheers, mate.
Make it easy on them. Thank you. Fighting. Thank you for listening to another episode of Canter. Any guest views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and not necessarily those of the hosts. Canter strongly suggests listeners research local, state, and federal laws and regulations before conducting any cannabis-related activity. 